So welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast. This is where we explore the new game-changing understanding that can unlock new levels of performance, resourcefulness, and well-being in the workplace. Join us if you want to be part of the new breed of leaders in business. Join us if you're fed up with the conventional echo chamber. And join us if you want to be part of the new revolution in understanding how the mind works and recognize that we are more than just our psychology and that that can lead to better results. So hello and welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast with me, your host, Piers Thurston. And this is a podcast series where we explore a potentially game-changing understanding of the human mind that unlocks new levels of performance, resourcefulness, and well-being in your business and organizations. Now, today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Matt O'Neill, who is a futurist. So, welcome, Matt. Hello, Piers. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. So, Matt, to start with, um, could you tell us a little bit about um, what it is as a futurist that you do and help clients with, and kind of how you got into it? Okay, so um, I think there are quite a lot of ways of describing what a futurist does. But from my perspective, or the way that I view it is, I, I really what I'm doing is just putting up a set of signposts for customers and saying, do you think that this signpost has relevance to what you do? Uh, and it really is that simple. I mean, it sounds uh, really complicated and stuff, but it's not. So, you know, I probably spend sort of uh, a couple of hours a day just reading up on what's happening in a range of different sectors to try and uh, stay current. Um, can you repeat the, the second question, second part of your question, please? It's kind of, um, you know, how did you get into futurism? I mean, what were you doing before and how did you get into it? Okay, so um, since about 2001, I'd been uh, either working in or running a range of different sort of creative type communications businesses. Um, one of the ways that we kind of stayed ahead was, I suppose I didn't realize it at the time, but because I was always trying to stay up to date with sort of not just technology trends, but social and political trends, that influenced the type of work that we did. And then uh, a few years ago, I just remember attending uh, a London Futurists meetup, and I had this feeling while I was there that, that that feeling of just struggling just to try and keep up with the the level of the discussion and the debate, and it, it was far less uh, egoic than I'd come across in some other disciplines. You know, people were genuinely engaged and genuinely wanted to learn from one another, and I think that it was that meetup uh, that took place that was instrumental in leading me down this route. So the sorts of work that I do, a recent project was for the British Board of Film Classification, who obviously classify media in the UK. And there it was to help them think about how the organisation might evolve over the next 10 years. Uh, another example might be I uh, do a lot of work for Sage, um, the software company, and there often it's helping not just them, but also their customers who are often in the kind of manufacturing space to think about how the world is changing and how that might affect their business. So it has a lot of uh, cross-pollination. You know, it's not always just about helping organizations themselves, but I also think that more uh, future-facing marketeers are recognizing that they can add a lot of value to their customers by hiring people like me. And, and it's fascinating, isn't it? Because it seems with technology and just the way the world is enabled now that change is just a constant. It's happening almost exponentially. And for an organization, 
the idea that you need to be aware of what might be coming around the corner is even more important. So I, I can see the sort of growing role of uh, what you do. And I, th- I think it's fascinating. Um, and the reason you know, I was keen to get you on this podcast is because uh, I see a link between the work we do in quality of mind and if you call it, if you like future proofing organizations and what's been lovely is that, that, that you've seen that and that's why you, you've, you know, come to see the work that we've done. So, um, I, I'd love you to tell people a little bit about how you see, uh, the, the work of quality of mind fitting into your work. Um, now just for anyone who's not quite sure what quality of mind is, there's, there's another podcast in this series that will tell you that more explicitly, but we're going to refer to it now. So Matt, can you just tell me about how you see the role and relevance of quality of mind in what you do as a futurist? I think that we're heading into a new era. It seems to me that we're heading into an era that is both computerized, which is what I've alluded to, but also deeply humanized. Because, you know, if we can't compete with the machines, which is something absolutely I don't think we should, then maybe what we need to do to differentiate is get better at the things that uh, make us human. So as a case in point, leadership, for example, I think a hallmark of good leadership perhaps is to ask questions. And if you look at um, a search engine like Google, they'll give you all the answers you want, but get it to ask a question and it's going to struggle. You know, uh, as we move into areas like empathy, for example, you know, I think that that has enormous implications, not just in terms of how we empathize with uh, people in our personal lives, but also I think in the in the professional space. So as, for example, very sophisticated programming and we see more machine learning enter uh, society, well, some of the people who, are, who can be quite skillful at that, but one of the challenges I think that comes when managing people like that in organizations is dealing with ambiguity. So uh, you know, I think that we absolutely need people who have uh, greater empathy, who can sort of empathize with a, a broad range of people. And in some cases, that's making sense of extreme complexity and explaining it to the rest of us. Um, agility is another one that I think is helped by uh, greater intuitive thinking, which to me is what quality of mind is about. You know, a, a case in point would be we're seeing full-time employment at the moment in terminal decline. Okay, but what we are seeing on the ascendancy is the rise of the so-called gig economy. So, you know, we are being sold, I think, a bit of a myth sometimes by Silicon Valley that we can have our freedom, have our cake and eat it, so to speak. But I think one of the things that people in organizations will need to get a lot more comfortable with, especially those at more operational levels, will be waking up perhaps not knowing what they're going to do today. You know, and and so that, that might be quite comfortable for some of us who've been on the outside for a while, but could be quite uncomfortable initially uh, for people who perhaps are looking for a, a sense of security and stability and structure uh, and so on and so forth. And then the other element, I think, is around creativity, uh, you know, and how, how can we uh, enhance that creativity or tap into that creativity that exists um, inside all of us. And a great case in point, in fact, it's kind of gig economy. I think we talked about this recently. There was that story from a few years ago about the um, – the guy from one of the big uh, uh, technology infrastructure companies, who I'm not going to mention on the, the podcast, and he'd actually decided to take 25% of his salary and outsource his entire job to a team in China, right? Um, now, up until the point that he was fired for doing that, <laughs> he'd actually won an award for being the most productive programmer in the business. You know? And I think it's that kind of 
creativity that he must have had some kind of realization in order to inspire that that we're going to need much more of i think going forward you know this we are not so much i think in the kind of systematic world as we are in the inherently much more intuitive and creative world and that's fascinating what you're saying there because as the world gets more advanced progresses quicker and gets more technology actually the need for our innate human attributes of clarity, resourcefulness, intuition, empathy, actually increases rather than decreases. 100%. Uh, and by the way, if I, if I may, Piers, that's, that's also echoed, I think, by uh, some of the work that's come out of the World Economic Forum. So in 2016, they produced a, a very well-cited report called the Future of Jobs Report. And I can still picture in my mind there was a table so they had top 10 most desirable skills in 2015 versus 2020. And whilst at joint first, we still had uh, complex problem solving. Very interesting to see that from 2015 to 2020's prediction, creativity rose from 10th to third place. Okay. Critical thinking rose from fourth to second place. Yeah. Uh, now, both of these, I think, are the hallmarks of what we are inherently good at, which is asking questions. So, uh, sorry to interrupt you. No, I mean, I, I think it's a great point because um, that's what I think, you know, I see and I think my clients in the business world sees as well. So some people see it more than others. Um, so, I, so, I guess the question now is, is that what do you see? Because, you know, you're, you're someone who's been around the kind of personal professional development arena for a while. What is it that you see in the understanding of quality of mind that you think is dare I say it, unique in, in helping organizations deal with everything you've just talked about. Well, what is it about quality of mind that has a relevance uh, for that? So I think when you look at, dare I say it, traditional leadership training or traditional coaching, it seems to me that it's very much kind of outside in. It's very much sort of taking a set of processes, or I think sometimes you call them do's, uh, things that you can do in order to have a desired uh, output. But that, that doesn't seem to me in line with how the system works. You know, it seems to be much more inside out. It's much more, you know, it's our minds that are creating our reality. But anyway, we needn't go into that too much. But, you know, what I find... Um, really helpful is that, you know, once we better understand how the mind works, so uh, if we take emotion, for example, something that you said to me a while back that resonates perfectly, you know, when we, when we see emotion for what it is, it's really, as you described it, like a barometer for how the system, how our human system is feeling in a given moment. But that, what that implies is that it's constantly changing. So ideas of things like stress or anxious uh, anxiety, sorry, you know, which are, are commonly associated negatives in the business world. You know, it seems to me, and, and I've had this in my own experience, once, once it's recognized that those things are transient, they don't seem to hang around as much. Or certainly, from my experience, I don't attach as much importance to it. Uh, and, and once, you know, if, if that has a contribution towards our mental health, then inherently it just seems that it's going to make us more productive. Just seems obvious to me. I think that the, the real thing that it taps into is something far deeper, something a lot deeper, which is this idea, and I know uh, it's not great to give it labels, but you know, the more intuitive part of ourself, you know, which, which I uh, now, thanks to the course that I did with you, has become so much clearer. So uh, just everybody, I think, has had 
that feeling of whether they are in the shower or the bath or perhaps they are even on the toilet. Suddenly they have a brainwave that just seems to arrive that uh, you could have spent, I don't know, weeks trying to think through with that sort of cognitive mind cranking the handle. And suddenly it just becomes obvious. And that seems to have arisen from something... I don't know, much more, dare I say it, primitive or, or something mm. more fundamental. And, and that's where I think that what uh, quality of mind really can help people with because it's, it's allowing or it's just sort of helping people to realize that there is this invisible power almost that just, that just is there. Uh, and, and when it arises, you know, it's it's um, it's it's nothing. It's like nothing else. You know, it's it's fascinating. And the true gift, I think, of quality of mind is actually not just having the felt experience, which we might have in the shower or in the toilet or whatever. Uh, it's also recognizing what it's made of as well. So, you know, I hope that that addresses your point. And obviously, uh, everybody out there can probably see I'm a real advocate for this. So. <laughs> well, that's nice to see. Um, and, and there's lots in what you said there, Matt, actually. And um, I, I think one thing you, you described it as, I think, during the course we were on, you know, that you said, um, this looks at not who we are, but what we are. And I wonder if you could say a little bit more about that and, and what you meant by that statement, because I, I have an understanding of what you mean by that, but how would you describe that to someone else? <sighs> well, who we are could be described in terms of our personality, our psychology, uh, the perceived effects of external events, you know, but who we are is something that changes in the moment all the time. You know, like it's, you could say that, uh, I don't know, so-and-so is a grumpy person or so-and-so is a happy person. But, uh, you know, that, that doesn't, I think that only shows part of the picture. You know, what, what we are is something that I think binds all human beings together. One thing I didn't mention was that I'd been engaged in uh, various spiritual activities probably since about 2011. I was involved in non-duality and attending talks and retreats and reading books and so on and so forth, and all of which delivered, I suppose, sort of pieces of the jigsaw. But I have to say it was the uh, quality of mind retreat that put those pieces of the jigsaw together. And I wouldn't say, like, I'm no expert, but the clarity that I've got now compared to before doing the course is um, entirely fundamentally different. Well, well, that's great. And I, th I think the way I sometimes describe it is that um, if you look at what's out there conventionally, it, it, where people look for their resourcefulness or their, their well-being, you, in the business world, you'll probably have courses that are around either um, giving you ideas or prescriptions in, in, in what to do. So, you know, here's, here's five ways you can have a better courageous conversation with someone or here's a way to set goals. Uh, or they're even prescribing um, your attitude. So, you know, be authentic, be positive, be open-minded. So there's a prescription around behavior or attitude, and there's a lot of courses um, doing that. Then there's others that are about helping you understand self. So you understand your personality, your style, um, you know, so it might be a, a, what's called a disc profile or an MBTI or a bell bin, and, and there's lots of them. And you have more self-awareness about mm. how you operate because you might be blind to some of that. And the idea is that once you're more aware of that, you can have some acceptance of it and hopefully navigate around it. Mm. 
But the, um, the real gift, though, if I might add something, is that you know it's you, you could have those skills, and those skills are those learnt skills could be really helpful. But the real gift, I think, that uh, you gave to us and a lot of others was uh, recognizing that you don't just pull the lever. You know, it's more about the intuitive self, that part of yourself that feels more invisible. Uh, knows when to pull that lever and not yeah. just when but how to pull that lever as well. Well, well that's exactly the point because I you know for the first 10 years of my career was was doing both of those two first things I spoke about and you would get some good results you know it, it, it wasn't it wasn't worthless that's why organizations over over the years decades have invested in it however you, it was never it was never consistent it was patchy some people would get it more than others and some people would have to have to maintain it and do it because they were still psychologically doing it, whether that's being aware of the fact that they can be a bit micro detail or remembering to, you know, to, to be open-minded, you know, so it was almost on manual. It was on psychological managing. Mm -hmm. Now what the principles behind quality of mind are pointing at, which was just such a revelation for me was that there's something more upstream to that, which is common to all of us, spiritual human beings that we are, that can actually run a lot of that for you, um, which is to your point. And once you fall awake and tap into that, it comes online. It, it's like you get your mojo back mm. and, and your ability to be in flow or in the zone where those unhelpful behaviors tend to dissolve and an mm. obviousness of what to do and be sort of arises um, actually mitigates the need for a lot of those other sort of either prescriptive attitudinal behavioral courses or understand self. Um, so, so the principles behind quality of mind were really sitting above that. And mm. then the other thing that you said, I think is so fascinating is because there's another part of the world that looks at spirituality and, and, and let's call it non-dual, which is definitely not the business world. Uh, and I first looked at that back in late nineties and I, Although something resonated with me about it, I just couldn't see how it was useful. I just could not see, well, you know, that's all fluffy and it's all woo-woo. And there's something quite nice feeling about it, but I've got no idea why anyone in the business world would be interested. Mm. I couldn't see the connection to resourcefulness, mm. performance and well-being. And now the principles that we talk about behind quality of mind seem to kind of rejoin that back up with what we're doing at a psychological level uh, and demystify that and um, re reveal some of the invisibleness of what was going on anyway, but we just didn't see it. Mm. Um, and that's why it sits in a different place to most mm. of the other things out there. So, I mean, I think I'm probably just summarizing what you're saying, but there's anything but else? I, I would add something to that, Piers. So since, um, since having the realization it occurs to me that so much, you know, so much sort of, it, it, I think it's almost borderline arrogant sometimes of us, of the species, to think that, you know, we can sort of manipulate a system that has spent millions of years evolving. You know, well, surely, 
it just seems obvious now that uh, we're much better off just learning to live more in line with how our system works rather than trying to NLP it and reframe things and fix everything. Da, 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 da. Uh, and, and then even through history, I think, even though this quote isn't entirely accurate, there's a lovely paraphrased quote uh, from Einstein, which I'm going to look down and read at the moment. And uh, this isn't exactly what he said, but um, the sentiment is nice nonetheless. The, the intuitive mind is a sacred gift and the rational mind is a faithful servant. We have created a society that honours the servant as forgotten the gift. And uh, never has that been so true, I think. And, yeah. and uh, I, I've had all kinds of, you know, where this, where this work that uh, I've done with you has manifested itself in all kinds of positive ways. So, uh, for example, in sales, um, you know, like I was never much of a sort of traditional salesman, but I'm now far more far more than ever bought into the idea that if I'm, say, with a client, it's never about the, the selling. In fact, you know, you, you only need to know, uh, uh, I think, about the product or the service. You don't always need to have all the answers. You know, the features and benefits are sometimes not the most, well, they're not the most important thing, frankly. You know, the, the most important thing is, I find, just sitting down and, and listening. And if, so what if you don't have the answers? Yeah, it's much more important, I think, to build that trust and empathy that I think can arise from a more intuitive state. And uh, equally, funnily enough, I was saying, like, I'm talking about anxiety. Next week, I've got a speech that I'm giving to a group of peers. And I'm actually bizarrely sort of quite nervous that, you know, these are my peers, you know, in the yeah. futurist space. And so, you know, like, it's... Um, yeah, you're talking to a group of people who kind of know the subject matter. And I made a decision probably about a month ago that I wasn't going to study for it in the same way. And what I was going to do was just to kind of give that more intuitive part of myself just time to think through it on its own. So the way that I would have put together a keynote in the past would have been, you know, take lots of notes, go through the notes, pick out the bits that seemed most important. Now what I'm doing is I'm just allowing the ideas to arise. And as the ideas arise, then I sort of do research around those ideas. So I've kind of reversed it. And I think that that is going to create, it will end up with a richer approach than it would have in the reverse. So, you know, those are just two examples of kind of where I've taken that more uh, intuitive approach. Um, and, you know, the thing is that it, it seems to have kind of like an infinite possibility for exploration as well. You know, I don't think you ever reach the end of this. You just notice different aspects of it. And, and that's certainly my experience, you know, that, that in, in the sort of eight years I've been looking in this direction, that there seems to be no roof, which is wonderful. But it's also, also what you said there, I think is very interesting because, through our conventional education in schools and the way we're told to sort of operate in business, we very much rely on our, what I would call our psychology. Um, it's a sort of willpower based, you know, work it out and work harder if you can't work it out. And that looked really like just what all there was to me for many, many, many years. So you can call it arrogant, you know, but I think it's just because I was in it myself, you know, it was just, I just didn't see anything else. And what this understanding um, brings in, and, and you, you described it as an invisible power, you know, is there's something else available to all and any of us that is far more resourceful um, and, and useful and powerful than our psychology. Yet 
we we seem to have got ourselves into a place innocently where we've been relying on this psychology to do it. And once people in the business world can join the two, right? <clears throat> it's not ignoring your learned self and all that knowledge and expertise because that your conceptual mind is highly useful. Um, you know, th- that's why people are good at their jobs at a technical level, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not ignoring that at all. It's recognizing we're so much more mm-hmm. and and not using that conceptual psychological managed mind to do the jobs it wasn't intended to do, which is basically Einstein's quote, you know, mm. you know, it's very relevant. You brought that up and, but we've kind of ignored, disrespected and therefore dumbed down our ability and capacity to access that mm. because we've been so focused on the other way. Yeah. It, you like in, in a biomechanics sense, having a massive left bicep and nothing on the right yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or, no. or like the, those bodybuilders who have the huge chest but tiny toothpicks. Well, well that's right. And, and, and I, if you told me that five years or ten years ago, I probably would have nodded my head and thought, yes, I know what you mean. You're talking about right and left brain. Um, mm. But no, we're not talking about that. We're, we're, we're talking about something much more fundamental than brain. This isn't about brain. Mm. Um, this isn't about neuroscience. Of course, it turns up in the brain. You can see it on an fMRI. But we're talking about something more uh, upstream than that, mm. right? Uh, can, yes, can I, one level we can call it spiritual, but but yeah. it, you know we, we put it in language where it makes sense. So we're talking much more than just better parts of your brain. I, I would add to this. I think there is something. Uh, I was talking with a friend about this just a few weeks ago, and one of the things that's made me reappraise is the nature of intellect itself. You know, so before I was with you, you know, like the intellect, there was something, you know, like I liked being seen as clever, you know, but but clever in the way that, you know, you could construct um, narrative, for example, or or construct a story or to, you know, uh, argue with somebody. But to me now, intellect is something entirely different. And it all stems from everything that you've just talked about. It's it's not... uh, knowing facts and being able to rationally and analytically debate them or, or to pull them apart or to put them back together again. To me, much more now it is, a, it is that sort of exploration of the more intuitive part of ourselves. It's just a much deeper, uh, maybe intellect is the wrong word, but it, is, it, it, it just feels that is. And, and so a greater pursuit or a greater exploration or just letting it, uh, unfold. That is far more profound to me now than it would have been a couple of years ago. Far more profound. And, far and, and, more and, profound. and I think one of these things, Matt, is that, um, you know, we have to keep remembering this is that as you and I talk, you know, it kind of makes sense to us what each other is saying, right? Uh, <laughs> now, no, that's not quite true because everyone's probably had the experience of being in the bathroom or the toilet or whatever and had that. Well, well I, I think that bit, but, but we, we will all make meaning about what the word intellect means mm. and, and all words, you know, will all make meaning. So, mm. it, but I think what we both also described is you can know something at different levels. Uh, and I'm really saying this to, to help the, the, the listeners kind of, mm. you know, uh, look, look a little more curiously because you, you can know something at uh, a knowledge level. So you, you can kind of read something and go, yes, I, you know, I understand that. It, you know, I understand the words. You, you can then sort of know it as something that makes sense to you. So first of all, it's just understanding, does it, you know, conceptually make sense? Then it's knowing, yes, I agree with that. 
um, yes, I see it like that. And, and then there's this kind of much more embodied kind of what we call realization that that's just how it is. Mm. And, and, and you see it beyond the words, you, you, you see it beyond your knowledge or your understanding of it. And, and that is when the, the, the mind's eye changes what it sees. Mm. Um, and, and, and we've all of us, because we're human, will have had experiences of that. 100%. Some minor when, you know, we, we, we've just realized something about, oh, I've forgotten the name of someone and now I remember mm. it, and it just pops in your mind. Or, or bigger ones about, you know, ourselves, or even more macro about how the system works, how the mm. mind works. And that capacity for realization was not something I respected, valued, or thought was fertile in any useful, relevant way. And now I realize it's at the absolute nub of our ability to perform, mm. our ability to deal with um, all the things that are going on in our, mm. in, our, in our worlds, and especially relevant nowadays, given the pace of exponential change. So it's really that capacity to realize, which is nothing to do with that intellectual conceptual mind. I mean, it's, it's, it will have implications for it, mm. but that's where we need to look. So I think for me, you know, going back right to the beginning of, of this podcast, you know, we asked the question, well, what, what's the relevance of the principles behind quality of mind for the future? Mm. I mean, for humans in the present as well, mm. is us understanding more about our capacity to realization because that's what's going to make the non-linear shifts that we need to survive and thrive in this world. So mm-hmm. uh, is there anything that you would add or, or disagree or agree with on that? No, no, I think you've summarized it perfectly. No, um, you know, I think that, uh, I mean, well, maybe this is a subject for another podcast, um, but it, there's a, there's a gro- there are growing ideas within the futurists uh, sort of movement about, you know, whether we should start enhancing our cognitive facilities. You know, so we, for example, they talk about the use of nootropics, which are sort of brain-enhancing drugs, or there's even a whole political movement called the transhumanist movement, which suggests that we should actually merge with machines in order that we can keep up with them and so on and so forth. But uh, probably one for uh, another <laughs> podcast, but it's yes. all ultimately... Uh, around the mind and it seems to me anything that we can do to improve our understanding can be a, a, a great thing and um, I, I think also there's, there's something around sort of like the practice of mindfulness and meditation and yoga and I think this is worth addressing as well so they're all good things there's no doubt about it you know like they can change the way that uh, or, or create the sense of a change in the way that we think but you put it really well you said well they're more like they can open the aperture on what they, what we are, because what we are is something more fundamental than that. Um, and I, I've always, uh, I found that an absolutely beautiful way of, of looking at things, because one of the things that worries me a little bit about wide-scale use of meditation and mindfulness is that I think sometimes people are using it a bit like a drug, you know, like mm. others might use wine, others might uh, take, take uh, you know, illegal drugs or, or pharmaceutical drugs or whatever. Um, but, you know, ultimately, they're all about sort of changing your, your brain chemistry and changing your experience of thought. Um, whereas I think what you do is something more fundamental that I think sits higher than that. And, by the, and I wouldn't say to anyone, I love yoga. I mean, I practice yoga four or five times a week. But uh, it really resonated with me what you said, which was there is something that sits above all of that. 
But all of these things might, as you say, open the aperture like the camera lens opening to reveal something. But I think that by participating in your, uh, in, certainly in your um, open retreat, it helped you see something far more clearly. Well, well, that's great. And I would agree with Matt. And I would sort of sum that up by saying that often, innocently, we're using things like meditation and yoga and whatever as a coping strategy for our misunderstanding of, of how the mind works. And therefore, we use it as a crutch to help us get through the day. Um, now, there's nothing wrong with doing that. And there's nothing wrong with those practices. But what we're pointing to with, with these principles is something, as you say, that sits more fundamentally and foundationally than that, that can actually reduce your need to do those things. It doesn't always because people just like doing them because they're, mm. they're, they're nice things to do, but it takes away the reliance on them as a way of coping with the world because you mm. realize you know, that your whole foundation of what you're trying to cope with is, is, is illusionary, so therefore you don't need them. Mm. Um, but anyway, Matt, we're kind of getting towards time yeah. now and it's been a fascinating conversation and we, we've talked about so many things and we could dive into all of them in more detail. Um, but if, if there was one thing that you were going to sort of summarize with to put you on the spot, you know, succinctly, what would, what would you say? Okay, the, the, the one thing that I've really started to enjoy exploring more now is when the understanding or the sense of uh, the more intuitive part of myself turns up in everyday life. You know, it's, it's not like a, a you know, like a, a great big sort of wow experience, but it turns up in the most normal pedestrian sort of standard way you could think of. So there was one experience I had recently. There was a, a man in the side alleyway down my house throwing up over the side of the fence, you know, and he was a bit worse for wear. I'd just come in from a night out myself now, you know, I could have taken all sorts of reactions to it. I might have taken like, oh my God, there's a guy down the, the alleyway, you know, that's a threat. Or I might have had a, an anger reaction. But something happened and it felt like, it felt like just a, a moment of pure connection. I just looked at him, he looked at me and I said, it's okay, you know, I, I've, I've had the same thing happen. And it just came from a different part of me. It wasn't like here, it was much more here. And then there was a, almost an acknowledgement. wasn't really anything said. He got himself up and uh, he walked off. And that was and and in a way, it was so normal and pedestrian. And, and as I say, you know, there was nothing special about it. But equally, it was completely magical as well. You know, it was just like that that little moment of pure connection that just seemed to arise. Maybe in his head, it was something completely different. But it didn't feel like that to me. So I'm really interested in how it just turns up. In everyday life. It's a great example of how, I mean, who could have thought you could have a moment of deep connection in someone being sick? You know, I mean, just to be a bit banal mm. about it. So isn't that amazing that you found connection in that and how ordinary that is? And I guess if we look at what's behind that, it just shows what we're made of uh, mm. and what we're not made of. And if we could start to see a little bit of that you know, there's a relevance and value for the, for the business world, which we'll talk about in other podcasts. But um, anyway, Matt, thank you so much for um, taking the time out. If people want to contact you, what, what's the best way to find you? Um, uh, just just put my details in at the end of the podcast. I'll, I'll give you the email. And I'll, I'll put it on the show notes. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but uh, if people have found anything in what we've said uh, curious, uh, interesting, they disagree or agree, please reach out, uh, leave some comments, um, get in contact, uh, be happy to engage in a conversation exploring this uh, potential game changer. Till next time. Thanks, Em. Bye-bye. 
Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please reach out and leave us a review and a comment. If you want more info, check out makingchangework.co.uk or Piers Thurston on LinkedIn.